Welcome back to Highly Respected. I'm your host, Scott Greer, and today we're going to have an excellent and incredible episode for you guys, so hopefully you enjoy. And like a lot of our episodes, it's based on something that happened early last week. I don't know, this is like how the news, I might have to change the day on when we record Highly Respected, because all the time we have big news events that happen after I record the episode uh, on on most Mondays, and then there's huge news events Monday night, Tuesday, and then I'm talking about it next week. I think most of the audience is fine with that, but it is funny how all the big breaking news uh, for the last month or so has been happening <laughs> late Monday and early Tuesday. Most of Trump's indictments have come out at that time, and some other news events have always happened at that time, and so we're always talking about that. And guess what we're going to be talking about today? Yes, we're going to be talking about Trump's latest indictment, this time coming from Georgia, Fulton County DA Fannie Willis, uh, DMV DA who has indicted him. Then Trump said, I did everything right, and they indicted me again, as he would want to say. That's one of the best Trump quotes, is like, I did everything right, and they indicted me. That was after, I forget if his first or second indictment that he did. Uh, that I may, I think it was after the documents where he uh, delivered that epic quote because uh, he gave press conferences, but he hasn't been doing press conferences over the uh, over the latest ones. And he's actually, you know, he's supposed to do one in Georgia, but they canceled it. Probably a smart move uh, just to let the legal process and let his lawyers handle this stuff uh, rather than getting into the muck of that, especially with these DAs and judges who all hate Trump and are very liberal are trying to use his words against him. So. You know, we love him for to go on the attack in the public sphere, but it probably better for his case not to do this. So here we're seeing another ridiculous indictment, and they're getting more ridiculous at the time. Uh, the Georgia, the Fulton County uh, DA's office really showed their impeccability and their and their fineness to the letter of the law and being competent. By leaking the indictment well before it was ready. In the morning of last Monday, they leaked it and, you know, they posted it to the website. It was an error by uh, one of the DMV clerks. Uh, you know, shockingly, this woman is a, is, a, is a black female who was the one responsible. And then they pulled it and then everyone's focusing on it. News reports are talking about it. Mainstream news pe- media is talking about it. Trump campaign's talking about it. And, of course, they just say... That's a lie. You know, they making this up. This is fiction. How we did not post that report. You know, and they'll, the, the type of people involved in this indictment will uh, convince themselves that's, uh, that's a credible response, credible rebuttal to seeing the indictment. And then later on, it turned out that, yes, they, uh, that was the early version of the indictment. They released it later that night, possibly due to the error of, uh, posting it that morning and it's all very clear that they're going to indict Trump and then they went along with it and then the clerk responsible apologized that I'm human we all make mistakes I was trying to send I was trying to hit save and I said hit send again uh really a good um preview of America's future there when you have and they're like I was trying my best to get it in on time and I hit send instead of save and well uh (laughs) great argument and then they're like you did a great job you know (laughs) there's a lot of this and then the indictment itself was incredibly stupid because all the time it's like based on tweets 
And it's, uh, you know, there's a time when it's like Trump is trying to commit a conspiracy to defraud voters or to overturn the election. And it's a tweet telling people to watch One American News. <laughs> and, it's all, and it's all this other stuff. It's like, this is clearly that they're a threat to democracy because they didn't believe the election was free and fair. And it's just a, entirely, and then they throw in RICO charges. It's like, this was not a criminal, or the level of incompetence around both the Trump campaign and uh, uh, challenging the election and stuff. It's like, how the hell is this a RICO? I mean, they're just like trying to find anything they can to throw at this, at the case. You know, they're trying to be like, oh, this is an organized effort. And it's like the organized effort is like they're, they're retweeting each other. I mean, that's literally what the indictment is saying. And then it's, you know, it's really... Both the last indictment from Jack Smith over the election, Stop the Steal, J6, and this are effectively criminalizing free speech. And there's a lot of lawyers who are indicted along with him. You know, there's several lawyers. Uh, uh, some are include the brilliant mind of Jenna Ellis, which it's, uh, we'll get to that in a moment about the Jenna Ellis reaction, how conservatives are reacting. Uh, but the argument is say, saying if that, you know, you go up to a lawyer and you ask them for legal advice. That's now a criminal penalty because it's not like the lawyers are just saying like, well, you know, here's how you can challenge it. This there's some ways that the Constitution grants or within American law grants that maybe you could do something about these election results. And they've done this time and time again. I mean, in the 2000 election, they all got high powered legal teams to figure out ways of how to ensure that the election post or the results went their way after the election and you know challenging the results and seeing what's the best means for both and both you know bush's team and gore's team did that now those guys would be uh, you know charged with criminal offenses and and rico <laughs> uh for this and it's just so insane and they're also indicting a lot of important officials in georgia the former party chairman david F Schaefer is indicted along with it is that because he was one of the uh, alternative electors electors which they're alternate electors which they've also charged all the people in Michigan I think 16 people with the crime of just signing up to be alternate electors it's like how is that a criminal offense it doesn't clear but even in the Michigan case you know the if they're found guilty on all these counts a lot of those people may face 50 fucking years just for signing a piece of paper saying I'm going to be a servant as alternate elector, which it's not even like just on a basic level on a, on a, you know, human to human level on a public level. It's like, how the hell is that a crime? How can you be, how can like child rapists face like two years in jail, but you signing a piece of paper saying you're going to be an alternate elector results in 50 years in jail, total madness, total anarcho tyranny. And they're doing that to David Schaefer, who and a lot of other important people in the party. And they're also considering, and I think there's also some other elected state officials who are there. Uh, one of the unindicted co-conspirators who was saved from a criminal offense simply because, and this is the lieutenant governor, the lieutenant governor of the state, Burt Jones, who was a state senator at the time. He was almost indicted for <clears throat> having a tweet saying, we're gonna we I call up for a special session to you know oversee what we can do about the election results and simply tweeting that 
made him a criminal, that he deserved an indictment. And the only reason he was not indicted is because Fannie Willis, who was investigating all these people at that time, she's been, they've been investigating this, I think, since 2021, but at least throughout all 2022, she held a fundraiser for his Democratic opponent last year in the uh, in the lieutenant governor race. She was she held a fundraiser for him, and like the judge was like, "You're such an idiot." <laughs> Like, this is clearly, this is clearly, uh, you know, uh, this clearly shows conflict of interest here. But it's once again DMVocracy that they're just too stupid. They're like, oh, these rules don't apply to me. And then at the same time, they imagine that they can be as wildly corrupt and wildly as incompetent as possible. But at the same time, they will charge people for uh, sending a tweet telling them to watch OAN. This is like, this is a threat to democracy. And that's literally what we're kind of facing here in the governance of a lot of these states where they take power. It's like, you know, they could do, they could literally get away with murder. They could literally get away with like the massive amount of corruption. At the same time, they want to charge you, send you to jail for 50 years for a tweet. Uh, that's uh, that's really what we're seeing. That's really what we're seeing with Fannie Willis is that they're all... There was a hilarious tweet from Nicole Hannah-Jones, who's the curator of the 1619 Project who was like thanking blacks is like, once again, blacks are responsible for saving democracy is that they're the true, true guardians of democracy, unlike anyone else, which, you know, and it's all over Fannie Willis. And they're all these mainstream outlets are having these fawning articles about them as they really do believe, you know, the magic American thing. This is really what it comes out, especially with black women. You know, they're the white liberals, especially white liberal women have this uh, really kind of religious devotion to black women it's like oh they're just so smart they're so special i love them and it's how they also and it's how they react to certain black artists you know lizzo beyonce all these types of things is that they're like divine beings who are doing such good work and they have to worship them and there's all these fawning pieces coming out nicole hannah jones is furthering this along by saying that like blacks are the true guardians and advancers of democracy as opposed to whites but that is like the core thesis of the 1619 project, as I pointed out on Twitter, is like saying it, the purpose of it is to cast blacks as the central protagonists of American histories, as the heroes of American history, and whites as the villains. Is that any type of good thing whites do, it's not really important, or it's due to questioning. Even someone like Abraham Lincoln, who freed the slaves and is responsible for making a more egalitarian vision of the Constitution and our, you know, of our founding documents and what our purpose is as a nation, you know, even he is cast as a villain or having villainous traits due to his support for colonization and his actions against Indians. And really the only true heroes, the true protagonists, the ones who made America, America are blacks rather than the Anglo Protestant core. And that's what a lot of people are agreeing. And that's what she's furthering along with by seeing Fannie Willis as the great guardian of democracy, which she is not. I mean, this is just, once again, like corrupt black governance that's coming into play. And it's and it's also especially true with, uh, with some of the black leaders that they have. And most of them are becoming women. I mean, it's just really showing the matriarchal character of black communities. This was even apparent back in the 50s and 60s is that a lot of black nationals complained about how they were run by women and that it needs to be changed by men. But uh, as it's only gotten worse since then, I mean, back then, even their leaders who were elected were all 
you know, men now today, it's most of their leaders, with the exceptions of people like Brandon Johnson, who's now the governor or mayor of Chicago, and some others. But even a lot of the guys that they elect are kind of down. <laughs> guys like Gillum, uh, well, now coming out with the news, Obama, you know, um, experiment with homo at least experimented with homosexuality in college you know there's uh there's that elements but most of their leaders now are women and it can be you know someone like muriel bowser who is the mayor of of washington dc and a lot of some of the mayors that they are electing are these kind of incompetent people who there's a that they're more competent than others and they're trying to please like the powers that are in their cities and a lot of them Atlanta mayors are like that like keisha bottoms who is no longer the mayor of Atlanta, and she was considered a uh, top choice to be Biden's VP. They're more incomp- le- uh, less competent technocrats who are trying to please like business and have this juggling act. Don't really do a good job of it. Like Mario Bowser is trying to push back against the soft on crime policies pushed by a lot of her community and a lot of the other leaders in D.C., but she can't really resist it. She can only veto and beg like, uh, beg Congress to not approve of these measures, uh, but they don't have that. Then there are the people like Maxine Waters, Sheila Jackson Lee, and one of my and one of my favorite is Frederica Wilson from South Florida. These are complete Looney Tunes. They have <laughs> there's no degree of confidence at all. There's also moral righteousness to them, even though they're all wildly <laughs> corrupt and and don't practice at all good governance or any commitment to. Uh, the uh, Anglo norms of how government should be had. It's like, you know, total, like they're making millions off of their position. And they all hate, uh, they're all trying to criminalize free speech. Um, Maxine Waters had pushed a lot of things when she was popular in the Trump era. Uh, Sheila Jackson Lee tried to have criminalize uh, racist thoughts. She tried to have a hate speech bill. And then she's like, oh, they lied about this. This ain't a hate speech bill. This is a protect people bill. And then Frederica Wilson was one of my favorites is that this is uh, this is still during the Trump era. I think this is 2019 or 2020. And she's like, we need to arrest people who criticize our elected officials. That's just un-American. That's bad. We need to arrest these people. I get criticized all the time. These people need to face the law. And it's like, <laughs> what? They have no concept of like what free speech means. But at the same time, they're like, uh, I should not be charged for... Uh, you know, granting millions of dollars in contracts to people who are going to enrich me and and giving my whole family jobs that they don't deserve. You know, that's not criminal. But, you know, criticizing me on Twitter, that deserves a full brunt of the law. So it's a very, very much at the peak of anarcho tyranny is that they don't want to do anything about real crime or their corruption, but they do want to punish people who uh, attack them, who criticize their idiotic actions on Twitter. And so you have that dynamic working there. Uh, but then you have it with uh, Fannie Willis. I, it's hard to, I don't think she's as uh, as ridiculous as uh, Frederick Wilson and Sheila Jackson Lee and Waters, but she's close to it and her definitely at her office is that. And it's you really can't trust this indictment due to that. But they're able, even if the indictment is stupid and even if they do have a chance of beating it in court, I think actually out of all the cases, that Trump has before him, this probably has the best opportunity for him to just beat it in court. Be, uh, one is that there's the chance that they could move it to a federal court, which would have a bigger jury pool, a lot more Trump voters being put in that jury pool, and that would help him out a lot. Uh, the case is 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 
incredibly flimsy. It's basically he has the flimsy case that Jack Smith has has you know filed against him in DC court. It's now in Georgia where there's a lot more normal people. There's a lot uh, better chance of Trump supporters being there. Now it's stuck in Fulton County. Um, probably not good, but I think if he there's a good, very good chance he can get this sent to federal court where federal court hears it and he's had a much wider jury pool where he could pull in a lot of his supporters. And unlike in the documents case where he is technically guilty on the letter of it, or I don't want to say he's technically guilty. I think if they look at the evidence there, it's like, okay, he did do this stuff. But at the same time, it's really something beyond the law. It's like, we don't prosecute any senior officials for this. Look at Hillary, look at Biden, look at Pence. We do this all the time. Why is Trump the only one being indicted for this versus Hillary, Biden, and Pence? Obviously, the answer is political. Uh, but on the, you know, what's presented, and most lawyers say this is like, you know, it's a, out of all the out of the, all the indictments, it's the most solid case they have. At the same time, there's the bigger issue of just saying we don't prosecute senior officials for this, and there's many many examples of that. So it's a it's still a political prosecution. He shouldn't have been charged with it, but you know they could convince a jury that you know he is guilty. Whatever. The other cases are all just total bullshit, and they're banking on the district that they're filing them in and the local jury pool to be so anti-Trump that they'll do that. Stormy Daniels, obviously, case. Even liberal lawyers are saying this is an idiotic case. That this this is not a this is not a real crime. This is just a campaign violation that you pay a minor fine for at, at most, and then they're elevating it to a serious felony, and they're just saying that that's stupid. That's idiotic. The only reason that they're, you know, filing this case is because they believe a Manhattan jury will convict Trump no matter what they charge him with. Same with D.C., you know, uh, not as much criticism of that as there is a Stormy Daniels, at least from liberals. Once again, a flimsy case that if it was held in any other jurisdiction uh, besides D.C. or New York, it would be thrown out uh, or it would not be, you know, a judge, especially a Trump appointee, would likely throw it out with extreme prejudice. And even if it went to court, you know, a jury would likely find Trump not guilty. Um, which, and so the one thing that he has going with him in Georgia is there's a strong chance he can get, um, you know, a change of venue, a change of who's hearing the case. And he, you know, has a, if it goes to trial, I would say there's a, at least a 50% chance he's found not guilty, depending on, and depending on the setting. If it's a federal, if it's stuck in Fulton County, not in a federal court, um, Maybe it's not fifty percent. If it's oh, if it's in a federal court, I give him over fifty percent of being exonerated in that court. And there's even a possibility that a judge would throw out the case if it was taken to a federal court. Um, so there is that hope and those things to keep in mind. The other good news is that the indictments really are increasing Trump support. There, a new poll just came out uh, over the weekend. Well, as we all know from DeSantis supporters, every poll since February has been fake, uh, and they've all been paid for by uh, the Trump campaign. Even though they complain the Trump campaign is broke and is spending all its money on legal fees, they're apparently buying up every mainstream reporter who writes an article about the failing DeSantis campaign or or on all these polling firms that show that Trump has a uh, clear lead in the race, but it shows that he's finally getting into the low 60s in support. And a lot of other polls are showing him in the high 50s of the support. And then DeSantis is declining below 15% in a lot of these polls. The one that showed him uh, Trump was 62% had DeSantis at 16%. 
But DeSantis's support is declining and Trump's is increasing with these uh, with the convictions. So there's greater rallying support around him. At the same time, there are downsides to these convictions. I don't uh, like everyone saying like, oh, this is an attempt to make sure he wins a nomination and you know that no it's not it's it's to ensure that he never becomes president again and really the convictions are trying to ensure that all the finances for the republican party and trump stay tied up in these legal battles and everyone's complaining about it it's like look they they're like oh i can't believe all this money is being sent on his legal defense to be honest most republicans if you ask Republican voters and ask them, it's like, hey, do you want a lot of money to be spent on a stupid ad firm that pays for these idiotic memes, online right memes, and pays off influencers to tweet nonstop about Trump as like a jilted, like, like Trump broke their heart and broke up with them? Or would you rather have this to that money be used to defend Trump against these persecutions by the state? And I think they would rather choose that most of the money that is wasted in campaigns on, you know, stupid consultants that are idiots and tell them the wrong advice or helping with Trump with his legal fees. They'd be fine with that. But it is a ton of money and it's a lot of that money is being tied up in this. And it's, you know, hard for them to get out of that predicament. Another thing to keep in mind is that these indictments, I always thought that the indictments would maybe convince Trump to get out of the race <clears throat> or his legal problems would uh, outweigh him. But I actually think the legal indictments, due to their massive costs, is to ensure that Trump stays in the race because, you know, and people like saying like, oh, Trump can afford his own legal fees. I mean, this is like tens of millions of dollars. This is a lot of money uh, for his legal defense. And a lot, he really has, it really is depending on the campaign to ensure that he maintains legal defense. I mean, Trump lost a lot of money by being president. Everyone said that like he's becoming president to enrich himself. It's like, no, he lost, he lost a lot of money. He lost a ton of his reputation and his ability to be a brand name and to make even more money by being president. And he doesn't quite have, you know, and he has so many legal cases against him. You know, he still has these um, lawsuit from the woman who claims to raped him. He still has those legal problems. He's got four different indictments he's got to worry about and pay, you know, lawyers, you know, absolute monster fees for and all this stuff. And he's probably, he is actually, it's not so much that he's being a cheapskate. It's like he is dependent on this stuff to... Uh, help him with his legal defense and as like the you know and he is being prosecuted at not just as an individual but as a representative of a symbol of the middle america of the historic american people that the government wants to you know push down and suppress and to tell them to get know their place and to stop rebelling and they're doing this in order to black pill and demoralize that base and it's not just simply that he's a, a, a you know a criminal or some sort. They're doing this as a as a as a flex of power against these people they perceive as their political enemies. And so he's even more dependent on that campaign to help him out in his many legal battles. And if he just said he dropped out, you know, where's he? Gonna, he's going to have much more. He's going to have a lot more trouble 
obtaining legal fees. And now I, I can already hear the DeSantis people like, this is why DeSantis should be our nominee. It's like he would really win over the Trump base. It's like, you know, DeSantis is not offering a pardon. He's not doing anything to uh, to win over Trump voters. And he's like even use the listless vessels for um, applying to Trump people, even though he, he had his own reasons of like, they're expect, you know, they're expecting us to be listless vessels to and support Trump. You know, he used it in his own way as like expecting like candidates to be for supporting for Trump. But it's obviously easily interpreted to mean all Trump supporters. And it's like you have to be smart as a politician of how it's going to be interpreted. And everyone always complains like this is not how it's supposed to be interpreted. But that's how it is. And as a politician, you're supposed to be smart enough to realize that because um, DeSantis is getting in trouble over saying listless vessels. But now he's not. But his like, whole team, you know, on Twitter is spending 24-7 and spend, you know, every poll's fake. Uh, he's just around the corner from having a huge victory. He's going to have a massive win at the debates despite being horrible in debates. And just like everything's going hunky-dory, he's actually going to win in a landslide. So, I mean, I don't know why they complain, but they're in a permanent state of spin. Uh, and everything he does seems to be trying to appeal to his online surrogates rather than to appeal to ordinary Republican voters. But, I mean, even if, like, first off, it's never going to happen. It's like the only way that Trump would even consider dropping out of the race, which I think is becoming less and less likely over time, is if, you know, they promise to grant him a pardon and, you know, Republican functionary uh, or whatever the Republican Party promised to help him out with his legal fees and that of his allies. And now with the, the Georgia indictment, you know, they're going to be helping out a lot of these people who are indicted along with them. That's even a lot more money. And I know the Georgia Republican Party is trying to pitch in, but, they, you know, that's a lot of money that's going to be have to spend for this. And they... And, Democrats and the left realize why they're pushing these indictments and why they're trying to create the, as wide a net as possible is because they're trying to drain the Republicans of financial resources. And a lot of people are like, well, it's time to cut our losses and uh, only help out Jenna Ellis uh, in her legal battle because Jenna Ellis is no longer is a DeSantis surrogate now. And that's the only person we should support who <laughs> the brilliant legal mind of Jenna Ellis. But you know it, it, it's gonna it's gonna really demoralize the tr your your supporters and your base if you're just allowing all these people to go to jail and get hit with like massive life charges and they're not even able to defend themselves just be and somehow they're gonna rally to DeSantis over his call to fire Chris Ray but not to but not to pardon Trump it's like Chris Ray is not involved in this stuff it's the DOJ it's you know Fannie Willis it's all these people and it's all primarily directed against Trump like no one else and they still won't you know they still won't do that only only Vivek is promising that pardon and that's the only person that probably Trump would even in theory drop out and endorse but I think it's becoming less likely over time due to the some of the uh, reasons for staying in the race and he also realizes that he has a nomination Again, and it's too. It's not just like he needs the money to support himself. He also believes the only way he can avoid prison is by winning the White House, and that in mind, he. I mean, he's convinced that it's not a bad theory. It's he's probably right in, in a lot of ways. Is the only way he could do this. So, and he feels that he's the best position to win the White House versus anyone else, and that's why he would stay in the race. So, I'm becoming a lot more skeptical that he will ever drop out. Uh, I think the only uh, 
thing that might change if he gets convicted. Uh, but that has to be, he has to be convicted like months before the conviction, the convention. And the primary could be over, but it's before the convention. And maybe he's like, um, or maybe, and there's like an appeal denied. Maybe the Supreme Court denies his appeal. And he's like, absolutely, you know, this conviction is sticking. And he may realize like, um, I won't be able to run for office. I may have to, you know, I may have to go with someone else to give me a federal pardon. Uh, so he's got, and he can't get a pardon here in the Georgia case. Georgia pardon rules are uh, pretty ridiculous. As one, the governor can't directly pardon anyone. It's a departing board, and they could only grant a pardon after you've served your sentence. So that's not really going to help Trump. Um, there's ways they could change that, but it takes, uh, you know, it it'd take like two thirds of the uh, Senate legislature, and I don't think Republicans, they don't have two thirds. I think in the state Senate. Uh, so I, I don't think they're going to convince uh, enough Democrats to support this. And also, they do have the means to remove DAs if they are abusing their power. But it appears outside of one state senator, there's not a massive push to do this because it appears the Georgia state GOP, even though the lieutenant governor may be indicted as and by, you know, a political over a tweet by a one of their political opponents, by one of the most uh, progressive prosecutors in the country, you know, someone backed by George Soros, you know, totally, you know, soft on crime, pushing everything Republicans say they're opposed. And they're going to step aside because they want these prosecutions to take out Trump. It is that Republicans realize the only way they can beat Trump is through the criminal uh, through the criminal justice system. They know they can't beat him direct on. They know that, I mean, it's it's very clear that they can't take him direct on right now is that his numbers keep going up. He still has the uh, the fierce loyalty of the base. They can't get rid of him on their own. So they're hoping that their political enemies take him out, that he gets convicted, and that they can be done with Trump and Trumpism for forever. And Brian Kemp, you know, a ton of these DeSantis supporters always love it's not just DeSantis supporters, but like conservatives in general love Brian Kemp because he's like anti-Trump and he wins. Uh, there's not really anything particularly conservative he does. Besides, um, you know, he did he they did do some election reform laws to make it better for Republicans to win the state, but obviously that didn't help Herschel Walker in 2022. Uh, I think Walker had other issues though. Uh, you know, he's still he, he's not going to come to Trump's aid, even if he had direct pardon power, he wouldn't pardon Trump. That's like the fact. He wouldn't pardon Trump. And I do find it concerning how conservatives are so affected by Trump derangement syndrome that they really are sounding like 2016 all over again. Is that all they have are, is Twitter. And every day on Twitter, they think they vanquish Trump. It's just petty. Uh, you know, it's just petty tweets. It's passive aggressive stuff. You know, it's the same damn people who are tweeting all the time about how much they hate Trump in 2016. And now they're back again, uh, seven years later, <laughs> to do the same shit now. I'm pretending that Trump is the most evil force, and they're just hating on their base. They're hating on their supporters. But the world difference here is that they realize Trump is going to be the nominee. So there's now this sense of nihilism in it. It's a sense of fatalism that's taking over them, that there's nothing they can control. And it's just lashing out. It's impotent lashing out at the way the world works, at the way America works, and at their Republican base. They know they can't convince them to vote for uh, autistic Ron, to a ro robot Ron to be the candidate. And that's just the nature of the thing. And even with, 
you know, their great hope is that all the other candidates drop out and rally behind Ron. None of the other candidates are going to do that because they're all catching up on Ron. Even, you know, Pence, Christie, Vivek, obviously. Vivek would never drop out because he knows his big part is, you know, appealing to Trump. He would not want to drop out to help out DeSantis. And, you know, DeSantis can't convince these people to drop out. He's like a terrible candidate. He's not winning over people. And his numbers keep declining. And there's like no selling point for DeSantis as every as the person everyone needs to rally behind. So that's just never going to happen. Where And that's like their whole basis for victory now is that everyone suddenly, you know, when DeSantis's poll numbers continue to slip and decline and he continues to show himself as a weak candidate who is not ready for the national stage and is would probably not win a presidential race even eliminating the whole Trump and the legal problems and all that, he would still not win a presidential race based solely on his personality and what he was running on, that somehow this is going to convince all the other candidates to drop out and this would be enough to upset Trump, who is heading to the low 60s and polling. And it's like, even if they all dropped out, it probably Trump's numbers would go up to the mid 60s. And so he would still lose. (laughs) So the only thing they have is to get Trump out of the race. Because as long as Trump's in the race, he is a nominee. The, there is a chance that maybe Republican voters move on from Trump if he gets convicted. But his conviction is likely not to happen. Even if he is convicted, it's likely not going to happen before the primaries start. It could happen in the middle of the primaries. And also, I think that a trial would could outrage Republicans so much that they rally to him. And they're even more steadfast in their support of Trump. And even if they're convicted, they're so angry that they vote for, for him at the ballot box. So this is, um, you know, it's a bet that it's not sure, but it's literally the only thing they have. And that's why Republicans are getting out of the way of these indictments. And they're also coming to support these indictments is that DeSantis supporters on Twitter, you know, they've changed. You know, they've criticized, they were first like criticizing the Stormy Daniels one. Then they were critical of the documents one. They were never saying like, oh, this is it. But then it's begun to change. Like with the new indictment, or with the Jack Smith uh, challenging election indictment, you know, J6 indictment, they began to, you know, defend it and say, like, Trump lied to you about the stolen election. You, you have to abandon him now. This is like, there's a real clear-cut case here. And even though the cases are getting flimsier as they go along, the DeSantis supporters are becoming more defending of him because they know that these are the way to take Trump out. And now with the Georgia one, which is cast a huge net over a ton of Republicans, uh, you know, it's it's even includes a DeSantis supporter in Jen Ellis. And they're now strongly defending it. They're like, this is a clear-cut case. It's trying to drop drop. Trump. Like Trump is a liar. He he is responsible for this. Thank you, Fannie Willis. And they're turning into like Fannie Willis's biggest uh, fan base here over this because they think that Fannie Willis can take out Trump. And they will rally behind Jenna Ellis, who is the only innocent victim here. Um, but that's what conservatives are doing. And I'm starting to see there is a worrying sign of this, of how conservatives are reacting to these cases, because this is the type of pressure that has happened on federal judges. If all conservative media is like saying this is bullshit, these charges should be thrown out. Federal judges read that stuff. You know, they read National Review. They read, they read Wall Street Journal. They read New York Post. And if they're seeing editorials saying this is complete bunk. 
this is out this is an insult to our american justice system they're like oh i see that there's a lot of people that i respect who are telling me that i should intervene here and that this is a ridiculous case but if they're seeing really wimpy criticisms of it and half-hearted uh, criticisms of it and there's a underlying you know assumption that we should let these charges stand because trump is so bad which both the wall street journal editorial board nash review editorial board had that in their uh, statements on the Trump indictment, the latest Trump indictment. And you're even seeing in the New York Post opinion section, there were people supporting it. I think you aren't going to have that type of pressure on the Supreme Court or federal judges to you know throw out the charges. You know, I used to have this theory that Trump, uh, and I've promoted in this previous podcast, is that Trump would could be helped by the Supreme Court intervening in the case prior to judgment, prior to any conviction, or even prior to maybe even the jury trial starting and throwing out the case. But I'm more skeptical about it based on the reactions is that one, the entire liberal media, unlike with Stormy Daniels, is saying that this is an airtight case, this is important case. And even the type of conservative legal analysts who criticize it, they couch it and, and they're very mealy mouthed about it and not very forceful. And this has an impact on those. You know, Alito and Thomas would have obviously throw it out, but, you know, there's four other justices they have to worry about. And that type of pressure campaign that they need to hear or where they're reading in Wall Street Journal about what the case is. And if the Wall Street Journal is like, oh, it has a point here, then Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, Barrett and Roberts are going to be inclined to not want to intervene because they see that even their uh, news outlet that they turn to the most to learn about the news and learn about what in the world is you know, on the fence about the indictment, then that shows that they want to be on the fence about the indictment and they don't want to get involved. And so I'm less inclined to think that they'll intervene prior to judgment. I think Trump's best scenario for all these cases is to delay them until after the election. As long as he is not convicted prior to the election, his chances are as good as they were in 2020 and 2016. And everyone said that he had no chance of winning in both times. And a lot of people say he won in 2020. But even if you said he, you know, the, even if you're like a liberal who believes that it's a f totally free and fair election, you know, he's like only like 30,000 votes from an outright victory in 2020. And in 2016, nobody predicted he would win and he won. And so even liberals who are thinking that he's going to get convicted and that this is going to be, you know, that they're going to win, they're like, uh, it's likely only going to be a few thousand votes that <laughs> would secure Democrats the victory in 2024. And that's why they're very worried about Trump. And they don't, they do know, and also Democrats are depending on a conviction too. I, Trump would still have a chance of winning. You can't really count him out at any, at any time. Anytime you people count him out, he comes roaring back. And, you know, there's been several times that people are like, this is the end of Trump. You know, J6, like most recent examples, J6, everyone's like, he's done. There's no way he can run again. He's running again, and he's has 60% support on the Republican field. And he's doing very well in national polls, which he was never doing in national polls, like head-to-head -head national polls against Democratic candidates. At any point in his time when he's running for president, even back in 2016 and even in 2020, he was always losing those head-to-head -head polls by, and by a lot. But there's a lot of head-to-head -head polls showing him extremely close within the margin error or with him ahead and liberals are very worried about that 
And so even if he's convicted, um, it's Trump is like Jason Voorhees or like a slasher villain. It's like, you know, every time you're like, okay, we burned him alive. We slawed off his head. There's no way he could come back for a sequel. Sure enough, he comes back from a sequel bigger and stronger and more deadly than ever. He, you know, he is the uh, he is the political equivalent to Jason Voorhees. Like, there's no way they could get rid of Jason Voorhees in the Friday Thirteenth movies. They can't get rid of uh, Jason. They can't get rid of Trump. So maybe they think like, oh, he's convicted, and then they see his poll numbers, and it doesn't make much of a difference. I would say, like, rational side of me, I would say it would likely hurt him enough that that it would be much tougher for him to win. I do think it would be much tougher for him to win with a conviction. Not impossible, but much tougher. But if he delays all these trials, which is a very good chance that he does, which he can do, and that they're all pushed forward or pushed back beyond the 2024 election, he still has as good of a shot as ever running at, running against president. I mean, he's literally running against a walking corpse and Biden, who has nothing to campaign on, and that's it. But the you, the thing you have to realize, even if you hate Trump and you think that there's bad things about Trump, is that you have to. Re- this is like literally going to be the only chance to win, the only possible nominee, the that can unite the base and carry that base forward and energize them for turnout. Because if Trump is not the nominee, it's likely that a significant number of the Republican base, you know, probably won't be the majority, but it'll be enough to impact the presidential election. They will just not show up because they'll be so demoralized. They will be blackpilled. They're like, we wanted Trump. And now you're offering us Robot Ron or somebody else. And, you know, Trump doesn't even endorse that person. And Trump is telling us to stay home or Trump is just, you know, in jail or something. And we're just not going to show up because we think that politics is all fake and we wanted Trump and they denied us who we wanted. And they're not going to show up. So the you really are stuck with Trump. The only alternative that could possibly happen that maybe Republicans could win is if Trump endorses Vivek and is totally supportive of Vivek and Vivek carries along, is able to get a lot of that base to still turn out to, for him because he's getting the Trump support. He's given the full Trump support and full Trump endorsement. Um, maybe that could work. But any other candidate, if it's not Trump, most likely they would lose and they'd still have to deal with the Trump factor. And then they would have to deal with the factor of winning over Trump voters. And it's likely to prove to be a predicament that they can't overcome. Uh, so those are the things um, on the Georgia indictment. Oh, everyone's going to complain that these are blackpilled. And I know the live stream is just going to be uh, bitching the whole time <laughs> about these things. But there, we're not finished yet. We've still got more stuff to, for you to get mad about. Uh, so be, be uh, sit back down live stream. You've got be prepared to to complain even more. So on this topic of you know what happens with Trump if he gets convicted, I think it's worth talking about what happens with the future of the right. And we're already seeing it with two events that uh, that are happening. I talked about this last week, the Oliver Anthony song, and then the conservative consumer demographic. I wrote an article about that, and you know the Bud Light boycotts and how this is. Take on a mind of its own. Like the base of that is comes from the MAGA movement, but it's not led by Trump. Like Trump is no longer, you know, he's still the figurehead and representative of the movement, but he's not quite. He's still sort of seen as the leader, but they don't aren't led by him, as that they have a mind of their own. And with this movement, it is really like leaderless because 
you know, Trump is doing his own thing, is there. They still see him as a leader, but they're not really being led by him or he's not choosing to lead them. And then Tucker's been taken off the air of Fox News and his influence has been greatly diminished. He still has a degree of influence, but no longer to where, you know, if you went back to March, you would have said the two most influential leaders on the right are Trump and Tucker. And that's where everyone gets their cues from. Um, I, I, you no longer say uh, Tucker, you'd still say Trump, but he doesn't have he doesn't wield quite the type of leadership influence that he did when he was president and and you know in the late 2010s. So it's really developing something on its own, like Oliver Anthony. You know, that's like something completely different from Trump. Same with like Bud Light and Target and all the and like Sound of Freedom. Like these are all Trump-free moments and events. And there, that is. I mean, it's it has a relationship to it, but it is showing that this conservative base is has very Trumpian elements. You know, and you can see that in Forgiato Blow and stuff. And it has a very much of the carnivalesque. Uh, carnival aspects around trump but it's without trump as a leader and it's without trumpism as its policies it's really just this celebration of truly it is a multiracial working class elements and it has a lot of resentment towards <laughs> bourgeois americans and there's some there's some uh, sometimes i like the content but at other times it is a you can almost see this as insane clown party <laughs> elements with it. Insane clown posse. Uh, people, this is not a unique term. I remember them always saying insane clown party about Trump, uh, you know, when he was running for president the first time. They were always like, this is the insane clown party. And they would always talk about that as like jokes. But there are elements of the insane clown posse that are found within the GOP. It's like, one, it's very... Uh, you know, there's a multiracial element to it, or it's like whites adopting some of um, Wiggerisms. Uh, the insane clown posse are, uh, do claim to be devout Christians, but of a very unorthodox brand of uh, Christianity where they're allowed to use vulgarity and, uh, you know, a lot of other and celebrate violence, but they do uh, come around to, you know, being, being Christians. Uh, they're, you know, very much obsessed with satanic pedophiles. Uh, they have a lot of songs about uh, violence towards them. You know, that's very much sound in the right. Uh, they're very anti-science as the song of Miracles uh, that they did in 2010 that came out. I, if A lot of you guys are not millennials and you may not remember this, but there was a viral hit back then. And this is before like Twitter was really that popular and YouTube was just starting to kick off. So this was like a YouTube phenomenon. They released this music video. It's like a horrible music video for this song called Miracles. And it's basically them like saying like magnets. How do they work? Like fuck scientists. I'm tired of your, you make confusing my mind. And if you listen to Miracles today, it really is like the anthem of the insane clown party of what they want to, what they want to be about and promote. It's like rap music. It's uh you know, they're uh, not figuring out how the world works and then they're believing it's all conspiracy theories. <clears throat> it's very much kind of like the worst aspects of uh, that you're seeing. Now, going to the Oliver Anthony song is that there's now been two trends of this. It's like one, everyone's uh, conservatives are soy jacking over blacks discovering the song and vibing with it. There was a video that went viral showing all these reactions towards it. And most of the YouTubers are blacks. And there's a whole 
everyone who's listening to this knows this, but there's like a whole genre on YouTube of reaction videos. I absolutely hate that. Once, because a lot of my music is like the reaction videos. It's like, you know, blacks listen to Morbid Angel or blacks listen to Burzum and they react. They're like, oh, hell no. Why is this guy screaming at me? You know, and I, I find it embarrassing. I cringe when I see it. And I like, I do not want to hear my music with, uh, you know, uh, inner city dialogue, you know, uh, over, over it. I don't want the inner city commentary overneath, uh, <laughs> you know, a Dark Throne song or whatever. And so I don't want to, I don't want to hear that. But people, for whatever reason, love it. And there's also a lot of reaction to country music videos. And all these guys, there's like this video of like these black guys, hell yeah, I like that. Oh shit, that's a good line. And they're all vibing along with it. And everyone retweeted is like, and one of the guys who retweeted it was Jason Howerton, who's been involved in promoting the Oliver Anthony song to conservatives and is doing work with Oliver Anthony now. And he tweeted this, and this is a variant of everyone who's doing this to reaction videos. The feeling in the country right now isn't right or left. It's not Democrat or Republican. It's not white or black. The rich men and north of Richmond are terrified of the day when we figure that out. And like Howard tends like a basic bitch conservative. It's like what that we're all going to re- unite around tax cuts and deregulation. Yeah, that's really what the elites are terrified of. And it's very much into this fantasy they want to have of inner city blacks and whites uniting and country boy whites uniting against the elites to do something you know they haven't quite figured out what they're uniting over or what they're about but they're uniting over something i guess they're uniting to uh, ensure that insane clown posse gets on the radio or something but that's like a big part of the um, appeal of insane clown posse is it's a uniting inner city blacks with uh, you know whites that some people would refer to as white trash together and putting them uh, together to drink Fago or something. I guess that's what the, the goal of that is. But that's really what they want. And and it's such a cringe thing because anything that would unite inner city blacks with uh, hillbillies or something would be terrible. <laughs> It'd be something we would oppose. And everyone's like, we want this populist vision. It's like, that's not our populist vision, okay? Our populist vision is not in uniting you know illegal immigrants and inner city blacks and hillbillies together for something of this and it's a very marxist type vision but it's now articulated by these conservatives that are hostile to marxism and hostile to socialism it's like jason howard and these guys absolutely don't want socialism but then they think like oh everyone's uniting for what yeah even richmond north of richmond you know it's song uh you know any type of the direct political lines is just criticism of welfare cheats keyed uh, and then uh the belief that all these elites are pedophiles, which is all these things are very right wing things. It's not very, you know, there's not a quite of an economic populist message there, but they want to believe it's an economic populist message there. And if the right became united around it, it would just be, you know, a stupid leftist party. It'd be like what So Rob Amari and these guys are articulating, where they're now coming out as progressive Democrats. And they're complaining about immigration restriction. They're complaining about people owning guns. And they're complaining about you know, people being racist or something and complaining about systemic racism and policing. And that's absolutely not what we're part about. about. And I'm always, any all, all the time people soy jack over this idea of blacks and whites coming together against the elites. It's like, this is what they fear. It's like, what are they coming to, together at? You know, we saw that happen in 2020 with the BLM riots. It's because it wasn't quite the hillbillies, but it was. Well, there were some hillbillies because there's some of these do, uh, you know, doofus libertarians were out there. Like the guy who was shot by Daniel Perry, 
not Daniel Penny, Daniel Perry, very similar name, who was the Army sergeant who shot the uh, Antifa checkpoint guard in Austin, Texas. The guy he shot was a goofball libertarian, and all these boogaloo boys came out in favor of the BLM guys. And the riots and stuff. And there's, of course, all the white Antifa. And you saw black and whites coming together to cause chaos for George Floyd. That was like, really, it is. Like, you really absolutely don't want that. And I hate when the right is always obsessed over it. It's like, we come together to support the further decline of our country and the further advancement of non-white interests and non-white control of the country or non-white favorability in the country. That's not what we're about at all. And I don't even think that's what Oliver Anthony's song is about. But people are now getting along with uh, getting into this idea. And there was another horrible remix where guys further got this as like, this is the path to destroying the elites. And there was a rap remix of the song, which is a white guy in a, in a, like a, in a field, in a farm field, who's doing it. And it was so awful. I mean, like the lines of it are more explicitly political coming from the rap. And it's like a remix. And all these conservatives are like, this is awesome. I love this. And a lot of right-wingers were pointing out like how it's not in, the, not in these terms, but it is really just showing the insane clown party element. It's like it's a celebration of horrible aesthetics, horrible quality of this type of white trashification of whites and this wiggerfication of whites and we're all kind of united in this resentment towards um, something of, of, of like a of an elite that they can't really articulate what it is about and it's just uniting of you know it's becoming essentially more like a juggalo gathering than an actual political movement that would be that middle class whites would want to be a part of. It's just like this celebration of tr- of trash culture, and that's what it becomes into this. And the Oliver Anthony song was, itself, as I always said, was fine, and I don't, I don't find it offensive. You know, it's not really what I want to personally listen to, but it's like a decent song. If you like country music, if you like authentic country music, you know, people are going to like it. And, you know, if it came on, uh, there's like a cringe aspect now because everyone's playing it and stuff, but... If, you know, without that aspect, I would hear it. It's like, oh, it's a fine song. But then they add the rap stuff and it's just like horrible, horrible, horrible taste. And conservatives like these guys online, the conservative consumer base, a consumer demographic loves it. They absolutely go not uh, uh, apeshit over it. And it does show like all these guys who talk about right wing art and it's like avant garde standards and advancement. And what really they want is a hip hop tune about how, you know, Klaus Schwab started the Maui wildfires, which goes in all another thing that I've shown that is a problem with the right. Otherwise, you know, you do have to be understanding that like not everyone's going to be an elitist aristocrat who's sitting around listening to Wagner and is well-read. It's like we're going to have people who are uh, ones that, uh, that you know, a lot of the left would call white trash and are working class whites and they have different standards than us, but that's fine. And you incorporate them and as long as they're focused on the important issues, it's okay. If there was a hip hop song about like deporting every illegal, I would say that's keyed, okay? <laughs> but that's not what's happening, unfortunately. And it also becomes that they're ignoring identity issues to go on with the entertainment conspiracy theory stuff. And we're seeing this in the Maui wildfires. The Maui wildfires, there is clear evidence that this has started by having an idiotic government run by these native Hawaiians 
who are fully enmeshed in all this left-wing wokeness and critical race theory stuff. And they, they saw one of these officials who was like, oh, water is sacred. We can't release it. You know, it's an equity matter. And we want to have a spiritual understanding of water and have like more diversity in this stuff. And these are like the idiots who are running their disaster response. And it's all run by these corrupt minority officials who care more about like advancing these guys who think that we shouldn't use water to contain fires because it's sacred. It's a sacred native Hawaiian thing. And like these people just like have no competence and they're guided by these idiotic critical race theory and anti-white ideas that they just want to overturn science and Western civilization and have their own little land. Because a thing you got to realize is like the native Hawaiians absolutely hate whites. Like I've been to Hawaii three times in my life. And it's one of the few areas I've ever been to where the locals see you and they really resent you. You really feel that hatred from them. You don't quite feel it, you know, walking around blacks. Well, it's around blacks. It's a different thing. It's it's more like uh, I'm gonna get robbed. I need, uh, depending on if it's like uh, you know in a ghetto or something, you might be like might not be the most safe area. Um, but they really resent you. They really have a rudeness about you when you even if you're at a, ca- at a cash register, they really don't want you there. They always have these symbols of like we're gonna take this uh, land back. It's ours. And there was even that example of these Hawaiian guys who beat the shit out of this white guy who moved into their neighborhood, and they got federal hate crime charges over it. Uh, and it was simply they beat the shit out of him because they were he was white. They didn't want a white guy there moving into their neighborhood. And so they really, really hate whites, even though the fact that the only reason this uh, state has any wealth is due to whites and white tourists, but they really hate them. And they're, and they're running this place. And you can really see it's like this, you know, it's totally democratic controlled, totally, you know, you know, corrupt and just like incompetent people running. And it's really a the Maui wildfires and how devastating it is, is really a representation of what America's future is. If you allow these insidious ideas to take root, if you allow racial quotas to take to take hold and if you allow that these these BIPOC with long-standing anti-white sentiments and a lot of ridiculous ideas about indigenous science take over and are in control of disaster response and control of the police and fire department. What happens? It is a dark vision of minority of majority minority America. That is the real point of the Maui wildfires. But instead, the right isn't focusing on this. Instead, the right is focusing on space lasers and uh, the Oprah Winfrey and I guess Klaus Schwab is probably involved. Uh, they destroyed the whole island, even though it's all full of Democrats. Um, they want to destroy. But apparently now the Maui wildfire people are uh, all hardcore Trump supporters and conservatives. And they wiped it out just to have a real estate deal. And this is why they use their space lasers for this. So all the wildfire stuff. Everyone has to have a conspiracy theory for this stuff because the right is incapable of seeing an event and just realizing like, oh, there's probably a normal, rational explanation for this, like incompetent people running this, racial quotas, or like look at or just democratic control where they advance like idiotic environmental policies. There's a lot of rational explanations, but every wildfire that now happens, there's some deep conspiracy theory. It's like what happened with the Canada wildfires is that the entire right believed that there was some deep conspiracy theory here and that they were trying to kill everyone in America with these wildfires. When the wildfires most impacted the liberal elites on the coastline, the Acela Corridor, you know, the, the 
areas where it had the worst air quality and stuff was like New York, Philadelphia, Boston was having terrible air quality, Washington, D.C. And it's like they're trying to kill off middle Americans. And it's like uh, the people that are being most impacted are, are all the urbanite bug men you hate. It's like, why are they starting these wildfires to kill themselves? I don't understand this. It even happened even with the East Palestine or it's East Palestine. That's how they pronounce it. You know, the terrible accident. They're like, they're doing this to to kill off middle Americans from trying to uh, rise up and resist. And it's like, I don't think they have to worry about that because, you know, Trump got indicted in the Rodeau protest. So I don't have to I don't think they have to worry about a middle American revolt anytime soon. But people just get into these conspiracy theories and stuff because it's more entertaining and it it's a it's really what they want to hear. They want to hear entertainment. They don't really want to hear the dark, grim nature of these events that are staring them right in front of their eyes. And there's no conspiracy theory about these officials involved. They're openly saying this stuff. They're openly tweeting this stuff. They've all they have that background, and you can see that incompetent response there. And it's just what happens when you. It's what America's future looks like in a majority minority country where. You know, you have a massive wildfire and they don't give a warning because and they don't use water because they're guided by these idiotic principles and these these absolute morons in control. And that's going to mean a question, a matter of life and death for ordinary Americans. But instead of that, they instead have Oprah Winfrey uh, order the space lasers to uh, destroy all the MAGA voters in Maui, which there are probably hardly any conservatives there just for a real estate deal. It's like. They don't need to do this. It's it's just so ridiculous, and it's 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 always based on uh, like left wing like uh, priors for this. It's like they like the evil elites are doing this just for a real estate deal. It's like Captain Planet. It's like you know Captain Planet as a kid, if you guys remember, it was like a cartoon show, very leftist. Uh, you know, as an environmentalist hero. And now people like on the right are using Captain Planet like themes of like what the villains would do and only Captain Planet could save them. But now the right is doing with this because they, they're they're totally addicted to conspiracy theories and they're unwilling to face reality. I think it may be in some ways a reason why the right is so addicted, addicted to conspiracy theories is because they feel reality is too dark and grim and it's a lot more comfortable to believe that there's somebody in control and that they can entertain themselves with this latest conspiracy theory they have like space lasers and everything um but uh it's uh, it's ultimately stupid and it's ultimately deceitful and dishonest it's like it's better to be honest and upfront about what we're facing rather than to believe um in the oprah winfrey uh, global cabal of space laser owners but that response to the maori wildfire is like one of the downsides of this uh, insane clown party instead of like I would be totally down for the insane clown party or open to it if it was like focused on the identity issues. If they were doing rap songs about affirmative action or rap songs uh, about how the Maui wildfire shows uh, all these uh, why we can't we shouldn't allow racial equity to guide uh, public policy. You know, I'd be totally down for it. But that's not what it is. It's really just an addiction to conspiracy theories and even like kind of a, a warmed over semi Marxism that we're seeing with like blacks and whites uniting together around the Richmond and Northman, uh, North of Richmond to uh, do something. We're not sure what's uniting them, but we're really excited about inner city blacks and hillbillies uniting together. And it's like, this is all just complete stupidity and not what we're about. And we're unfortunately going to witness a lot of stupidity, but it's a fact of just keeping your head on your shoulders and trying to reach the best people possible and sticking with your message and not succumbing to 
the incentives and the money around the appealing to the insane clown party and not just like going totally, you know, full on idiot. And I think with a lot of conservatives is that it's up to conservative influence or right wing influencers to do this because there's so many incentives for right wing influencers to just follow what the consumer, conservative consumer demographic wants rather than what they need to hear and what's the truth. And so a lot of people lie to them. They see what's trending on social media. They see that they're getting into conspiracy theories and stuff, and they'll totally entertain them. It was like the most idiotic example is Damar Hamlin, uh, you know, getting die and getting replaced by a clone. Remarkably, his body double is also very good at football. It's very, it's, uh, it's remarkable they found someone who looked exactly like him, who is also a... Uh, you know, all, you know, pro worthy, uh, safety, but I don't, the, the elites are getting really good at this. Um, but that's like, what's, that's, what's happening. You have to be sensible. You can't let yourself be, uh, dragged down to these levels. And the, and the wildfire thing is very popular. Cause I talk to people, I, I talk to a lot of guys who are talking to their parents and their parents are like normal conservatives. And they were totally believing in the wildfire stuff. And then the parents were getting mad that their son was not being open-minded enough to believe in the space lasers theory. So it's um, it's better, as I always say, it's better to focus. The identity issues are right before us. We don't have to invent a conspiracy theory about it. You you have the facts and the data right before us. It's whether it's like who's committing crime, you know, what happens to a city when uh, you know whites totally leave and the control falls to these corrupt uh, BIPOC. You know what happens there. This is all in front of us. We, we you just have to put the data together. But a lot of people would rather invent a conspiracy theory because it makes them more money and, and entertains people more than the stark reality of life in America. And so that's the real problem I have with the development of the insane clown party. And it's like not directed either. It's not. There's like no leader of it. And depending on what happens in 2024, like Trump could. You know, I think he'll still be a symbol and icon, and people will still revere him. But he won't be leading it anymore after 2044 he could be leading it if he's president so a lot of these problems could be you know contained uh, over time but let's say if he's not you know maybe he's convicted or he's you know off the public stage you know it becomes this like leaderless uh, i don't want to say a resistance movement but leaderless political movement where they're just following any like type of grifter or carnival barker who tells them like the latest conspiracy theory and they get worked up about it. And they do have the ability to impact the market, as I talked about last week in last week's podcast and my article last week. They can punish companies and they can reward companies. But when it comes to actual affecting political power and political change, they don't have the ability to do that because they're too ridiculous and too uh, that they alienate too many people and they're not. Uh, it becomes just something, a um, a vent, a way of venting over political impotence that they just like lash out in any all directions and invent stuff to further along that mindset. Brings me back to a point that I believe I've said in podcasts before, but QAnon has had far more influence on the American right than the alt-right. The old right has gotten a lot of its issues to play, you know, anti-white racism, great replacement, but it's overshadowed by what QAnon cared about and the QAnon worldview of what's going on. And also a lot of the mainstream right tries to appeal to that. I mean, Daily Wire does it. The Blaze does it. They all try to appeal to it. They don't try to go full QAnon and full crazy. They try to moderate and, and you know, make sure that it is going to alienate advertisers. But it's still directed in that 
in that way, in that fashion. And it's why the right now loves conspiracy theories, loves these uh, global cabal things of what like ever QAnon was. And QAnon was like funny content, but at the end of the day, it's like, I don't think people should legitimately believe it. But it's unfortunately, and it's also had a very much of wigger, like very low class, horrible aesthetic quality to it that is deeply unappealing to, I think, like, you know, any middle class person who's read a book before. But it, it you know, it, it captured people's minds and imaginations uh, for the right. And it's now you're seeing the QAnonification of the larger American right happen before our eyes. And you can see it in the response to the wildfires. You can see it in the love for these uh rap songs that uh, indulge in like random conspiracy theories and other things and that's really uh something that could happen and i think if you know the QAnonification of the right is like not a good thing it will create a lot of funny content but i don't think our main goal is funny content it is to change the world in a positive direction and make the country and the world reflect our views uh, not to uh, laugh at the latest mole children theory and what real raw news is promoting. I mean, it is funny, but it is like really dark at the idea of the people who believe real raw news because I've seen the accounts that believe it. And it really, you know, I laugh at real raw news all the time, but then I read the accounts of the people who believe it and it's extremely dark in what they believe in stuff. And it's like, um, maybe this isn't a good thing. <laughs> uh, so... That's just something to keep in mind. Um, I assume the uh, chat and listeners will all love these topics and will totally agree with me. And so I look forward to seeing all your great commentary about what I said in this podcast. Now on for the Cotton League questions. Today we just have one, which is fine. Uh, I probably need to remind people to send in more questions. If you did have a question and somehow didn't, I didn't see it or didn't get it in my inbox, make sure to send me a reply and I will look for it for next week. So my apologies on that. But I looked thoroughly. It appears we just have one this week. Usually we've been having a lot of questions. So, so we'll, uh, we'll send a reminder to make sure that anyone can ask as many questions as possible. There wasn't as much news except for the Georgia stuff and... The wildfires last week so that probably is it but as a reminder you too can get the power to ask me questions and suggest guests and topics if you sign up for the kind of elite option at highly respected substack and that's at highly respected.substack.com and make sure to sign up for the iq supplements of your while you're there this question comes from jay jay asks scott do you agree with Ron Unz's assessment of the elite composition in America today? I might paraphrase his views as Jews are still disproportionately overrepresented, but their competency has gone down drastically in the last generation or two. Regardless of ethnic background, do you think the competency of American elites has declined in the last generation or two? Uh, to go with it, I mean, there still are obviously disproportionately represented to their, you know, their basis in American population. I mean, they're only what two, two or three percent, at most three percent of the American population. Yet they're uh, at least fifteen or twenty percent of the uh, of people in like elite universities and stuff. So they're definitely, you know, overrepresented. But they're also declining a number in the in the younger generations. It's their overall quality, and also the there's out marriage rates are very high. And also a lot of the younger, you know, the Jews don't view themselves in the same way that their parents and grandparents did. It's also why there's like declining support for Israel among the younger generations. And there's not as strong of an ethnic tie, ethnic identity as there once was, as there is the case for a lot of, uh, of Americans uh, throughout. And also there's, you know, Asians and others are trying to elbow their way in there. 
There's also these kind of mandatory racial quotas that they're having to have in there. And probably the two groups that are muscling their way into the elite are white Gentile women and and Asians. And a lot of the type of war over wokeness at the elite level that you were seeing, like there was this pushback from the left over wokeness and cancel culture uh, around 2020 and 2019. And it was generally a lot of uh, the people who were opposing it and also opposition to Me Too and other things were, you know, older Jews. As a lot of them were boomers in their 60s, uh, the Gen Xers. And it was really against a war against some of the Asians, uh, mostly South Asians and a lot of the white Gentile women who seemed to be leading the woke, uh, the further advancement of wokeness. So it was like it was a battle on the left for that. And I think that's something that's taking place in the elite is that they are that there's the elite composition itself is changing and in the competency level absolutely because i think that now you know there's much more of a greater demand for these racial quotas as we're seeing in like hawaii and elsewhere and and seeing in california and that these people are not as qualified enough to keep the lights running or keep the trains running and it's not just like you know at the very elite level it is at a level of like the middle level of the people who are running like the water plants and running, you know, the power plants and keeping these things running that are essential to American life. And you don't quite have that level of confidence that you have before because a lot of the white boomers are gone. You know, these guys, these white boomer nerds who are there, who are just about their job are being replaced to by people who are there to satisfy our diversity requirement. And that does create a level of incompetence on that level. But you can even see it on foreign policy, too, is that American foreign policy is becoming a lot more erratic. And any time that I say at the same time that American empire is becoming very is still very strong, it's not on the verge of collapse and it's, you know, has even greater dominance over Europe. But there are problems arising and it's due to a lot of these stupid people who are much more fervently committed to leftism and wokeism than their elders who are now running foreign policy. And you can see this in example in Brazil where America was fully anti-Bolsonaro and fully pro-Lula. And we told Brazilians that they could not try to launch a coup against Lula and that we would firmly oppose it because we're on Team Lula. And Lula has replayed, repaid that support by being totally anti-America on the world stage of like, you know, trying to bring in China and developing closer ties with China, developing closer ties with Russia, being very anti-American, uh, the interests of American corporations in his country. And it's definitely not to America's benefit that we now have Lula rather than Bolsonaro there because Bolsonaro was very pro-America and was more willing to go along with America on a lot of subjects. But now, due to the fact that we care more about sticking it to people who are like Trump rather than developing our allies uh, or rather than developing people who would serve the interests of the globalist American empire, they're just you know not doing that. They're just following like I, they're so traumatized by Trump and, and so committed to these wokest ideas that they want international wokeism rather. And it doesn't matter whether the people that they're supporting are anti-America or not. What really matters is that they're resisting uh, Trumpism. And you can even see this with like Maloney in Italy is that even though she's doing everything possible to support America, 
Biden and those people would not lift a finger to, to if there was some attempt to remove her because they, at the end of the day, they see her as a right wing racist and they don't care about how fervently she supports the Ukraine war and how she's getting Italy off the uh, China's um, Belt and Road Initiative. You know, they don't care. At the end of the day, she's like, you know, and they don't even care that she's not even uh, fulfilling her immigration promises. They still see her as a right wing extremist and they'd rather have like people who are inviting China and Russia into Italy as long as they're uh, firmly anti-racist. And so this is like an idiotic way to run foreign policy. And it's also coming at the impact of like our insistence that that every country on Earth legalize homosexuality and promote trans rights is coming at the expense of all these like third world countries that have more social conservative values, really don't want to do this. And now they favor China and Russia over us because they, you know, China and Russia don't demand that they teach uh, kids, uh, kindergartners, gender pronouns. So there is becoming a, a lack of competency on that level and maintaining basic structures we need to have the high level American life. And that's going to continue to decline over time. And uh, you know, that's not to praise the old elite. It's just to say that they're, you know, the people on top are getting dumber and it's getting uh, more diverse. And you just have to see that from the levels of what's happening in our country. It's not going to come to full collapse, but I think you're just going to have uh, more incompetence and more like r ridiculous catastrophes as we're seeing in Maui and elsewhere is that there's, you know, 30 years ago, there had been a strong response to it. There had been an accurate emergency response. You would have not seen the levels of deaths and destruction that you have today. But now we have, uh, we're guided by more ridiculous left-wing ideals. And they're having these racial quotas to put an incompetent people in there. And that's really, and what they care more about is about fulfilling this racial vision of America rather than fulfilling a competent vision of America. So that's my take on that. And that's the one and only question we got today. So that is it for Highly Respected. We're going to have more great content later on this week. We'll have an article, uh, should be posted later this week as well. And another incredible IQ supplement along with all that. So be on the lookout for all that great content. So until next time, stay respected.